If you master something, you learn how to do it properly, or you succeed in understanding it completely. I'm going to work on my skills of mastering podcast production today on the podcast. Greetings, I'm Mr. T or Tom, if you wish, and officially a professional amateur, or at least according to the USPMGA. I played in my second mini golf masters in early October, and we're going to talk about it. Find all the mini golf designs, reviews, and more for myself and the big putter at a couple of putts.com and on social media at couple putts. You can find all of our course and old design work at minigolfdesigners.com and merch at minigolfgoods.com. And I'm Pat, the co-founder of the mini golf website and social media conglomerate, The Putting Penguin. For the second year in a row, I'm pretty damn happy with how my competitive season ended at the Masters and even more happy that we managed to get a bunch of it on virtual film, I guess. You can find all of our penguin fun by looking for Putting Penguin on all the socials. And while you're out there scrolling, don't forget to follow the podcast mini accounts as well, including our YouTube channel where you can actually listen to my co-host Tom do some of the best mini golf play-by-play out there. Sorry, Tessator. Finally, since you're clearly in love with our podcast, make sure you're liking, subscribing, and giving us a great review wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. And I did all those broadcasts from my neat and handy little American Mini Golf Alliance microphone stand. It's like my Freddie Mercury meets toys. Anyways, this is the official podcast of the American Mini Golf Alliance, the AMA. We had already our first season where we brought together people who are passionate about the game of mini golf in all its forms in the US and across the world. You can still become a member for free at amaminigolf.com and we'll get new membership cards out in the new year. We're going to be updating all sorts of stuff in the coming months for events coming up in 2023. And you can go to our website to find our national rankings and some recaps of our tournaments from this past year. And you can putt when ready. But before we jump in to the Masters, let's do some quick sponsor highlights because they're the people that help make this podcast and the American Mini Golf Alliance go. And our first sponsor is One Shot Golf. It is a iOS and Android app that you can play in the US and Canada. One Shot Golf allows you to control robots on your phone if you're in the US and Canada. I'm going to be in Iceland in the coming week, so I'm going to lose my streak but I am excited to come back and play it some more and keeping racking up points and playing all the fun courses that they have. You can play it daily for free and spend a couple dollars and get some tokens and play for a little extra. They sponsored our hole-in-one champion of a bunch of our tournaments this year. And we forgot to mention a few of those in our recap of the AMA season, but Justin Seymour was the hole-in-one champion at the O Street $1,000 tournament in August. We had Matt Lyles, who was the hole-in-one champion at Matterhorn, and Zach Asilius won a three-person playoff, including myself and our season one AMA champion, Mick Cullen. Zach Asilius won it on hole number four, where we had a sudden-death playoff. I believe it's on our AMA Instagram page. If it's not, that video will be up. Congrats to Zach. I saw him at an event this last weekend wearing some of the swag he got from One Shot Golf. It's a cool game. You should be playing it. 
Our second sponsor tonight is the Putt 18 Interactive and Popular Putting Mat Game. This game is played worldwide and generally will help you improve your skills in a fun and exciting way. It can be very addictive, especially when you're trying to make a three-foot putt that you know you can put in a bullseye but continue to fail at time after time after time again. And Tom and I have both been there and still want and support and play this mat you can tune into our fellow podcasters over at the 54 problems pod um, in one of their latest episodes because they have a conversation with the putt 18 inventor glenn palmer and two of our favorite and extremely competitive putt 18 players matt ansley and david gom if you're interested in purchasing one and joining this worldwide fellowship of putters you can use the discount code PUT18-10, so that's PUT, the numbers 18-10. That's going to save you 10% and includes free delivery all the way from Australia. And you can find that at www.PUT18.com.au. It'll be a great holiday gift for someone that you love too, that enjoys putting. And if you're an AMA member and you don't have one, you're definitely going to want to get your hands on one as we have plans to include the mat in one of our virtual accessible events for 2023 early. So get it now and you can practice. And stay tuned for a future episode where we talk about those events. Yes, we will. But for right now, we're going to recap an event we were both at the beginning of October, which was the USPMGA Masters of Mini Golf, Mini Golf Masters, Mastering Mini Golfers of Mastering something something like that and we both played in it along with 77 other people who completed as well and a few people that withdrew as of right now you can't really find the results for the masters of mini golf on the uspmga website at prominigolf.com so i would suggest glancing around online and refreshing over there we're going to try to share those results with you as well it was a Shared Excel spreadsheet. There was no hole-by-hole stats for the tournament, but there was a breakdown of all 77 players in their round-by-round breakdown. And, Pat, what happened for the results? If you if you and I were betting people and we made our prognostications and we had it on the 54 problems, folks, we'd be doing pretty well. We were solid. I think we would interview well for the future of potential gambling at uh, Pro Mini Golf because we called Olivia Prokopova as the hands-on favorite to win, the odds-on favorite to win, the favorite of whatever type you want to call it to win. And lo and behold, she won her by s- ten strokes. By ten strokes, it's she her fourth. It. Her fourth win. Her second time going back to back, she goes from winning by one stroke last year to, yeah, 10 strokes. I mean, walked away with it and quote unquote, as she told us in her interview, took it easy in the last round and still shot, what was it, 29 or 30, like just blowing away the competition. She is undefeated as a mom at the Masters. Um, And US Open. And US Open. So here's a pro tip. Don't bet against Olivia. And now she is tied. Am I correct? With Danny McCaslin for the most amount of Masters wins, which was, it happened in a strange bit of fate where she defeated Matt McCaslin, Danny McCaslin's brother, and Danny McCaslin wasn't even there because he had withdrawn after three rounds. He had a rough start at Rumble and 
gave up, which frankly, that pretty much puts Olivia as the champ in GOAT for the USPMGA Masters in my mind because she's never backed out of an event and that's just kind of for she's lack of a better way of saying it it's sad like come on finish finish yeah. the tournament she's the goat of the USPMGA and will be for an extended amount of time because she's got f- i think it's four US Opens four Masters she has beaten nearly everyone who she has played about even if she's lost to people before she's come back and won and she's only like whatever 27 28 somewhere in there so like the the people who have established previous records and things just aren't going to have a chance to add to them and she's going to do nothing but add to her record and so it'll be it's one of these things that's you know i guess like watching like jordan or will chamberlain or so like it's just like how 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 far up is she going to go and set a standard that nobody is going to be able to crack for a long time and it's just amazing to watch her putt i mean it's i, I rewatched the video you yeah. you took and just it just it, i don't want to say it's robotic because it's not really robotic but it's just smooth and confident and poor matt mccaslin the amount of final rounds that i think he has played with her in either a u.s open or masters and has been right there and i know he's won a few u.s opens but it's just got to be like at deja vu every single time so but they're a good pairing they're two yes. really great and wonderful people and um you know well like i said uh we'll pitch it again if you want to see some of the greatness in action because there's actually not a lot of video of her actually playing in these mm-hmm. major tournaments as we've talked about before but hey we've got two rounds of it so go check out our youtube page yeah and as we mentioned matt mccaslin Played with Olivia for those last rounds. He tied for second in the end with Rick Baird, Mr. Perfect. Rainey Statham and Joey Graybeal tied for fourth. Then we had Greg Ward and Greg Newport in sixth and seventh. Wade Sommel, Tim Talley, and Nate Nichols. They finish off the top 10. Interesting tidbit I noticed in there with Wade, Rainey, and Olivia in the top 10. We had three Texans in the top 10, which is pretty interesting because in general, a lot of the like rest of the next people down to 20, there's a lot of people from the Carolinas and Southern part of the United States, some pretty notable finishes. We had Tim Talley with, with an 11th place finish. This is coming off his year representing the U S in Finland. We had Brandon Davis, who I think it's his only a second time playing in the masters coming in tied for 13th and i made a mistake on that tim tally was ninth, ninth yeah. i'm looking at the spreadsheet here <laughs> so everything's off because he was top 10 and, and that is huge yes. I mean, tim's a very competitive and great player but being top 10 was just amazing it's huge and then we had vanette block who i believe she said that that was her best finish to date at the masters in 17th and somebody was at 16th who has never been in the top 20 before, and that was kind of a surprise. Yeah, and that was me. And Vinette and I ended up playing together in rounds four, five, and six, and, I, and part of that, like, we just, I think we really drove each other, and from there on out, like, we were obviously very close to each other because order and, you know, repairing and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, we were both having a career year, and it was just, it was a good vibe for us. And and not to give short shrift to the rest of the pack because there was a ton of people who showed up really well, but I just wanted to call out Patrick Reiner from Austria came in 23rd. We had Fabian 
Ochezi, uh, who came in 40th, and Christian Adler in 41st. Fabian, I believe, is from Germany via Canada these days, and Christian is from Austria. So it was nice to see this year that we had some international players. Another thing that I noted that was much to my surprise, I had, I had talked about wanting to be in the top three of the amateurs, and I had looked back previous years. Last year, four people played amateur. 2026 people played amateur. 2019, two people played amateur. This year, there are 15 people that played amateur. Wow. That's more than the three previous years combined. I did not get in the top three. Fell down a bit, had some bad holes, but we had Vanette Block, Clayton Craft, and Chase Ferguson come in the top three down in the amateurs. Again, all this information will be on ProMiniGolf.com, hopefully at some point. And it's great to see Chase because he's he's a younger kid. Um, I don't Super know exactly young. how old he was, but teenager-ish, young teenager, but um, had a you know, like really great attitude, was playing really mm-hmm. well. And mm-hmm. so um, really what you want to see from an amateur division like that and growing the game. And I would not be surprised if he moves into the pro division for too long either. Yeah, I agree. And this kind of leads right into where we wanted to talk about some of the good things that came out of it and quality of players, super high. It always is great putters. We had talked about this in our podcast with the 54 problems guys, and it's a whole bunch of people that come from the great lakes region and Texas and the South all in one place, probably for the only time they're all in the same place during the year, maybe some putt putt tournaments. They are the level was high. We had new blood people like Brandon Davis, who I'd mentioned earlier and the camaraderie was great. There was so much fun exchanges during practice, a lot of people being really supportive of each other, helping each other out with shots and breaks. And I, I really loved all that. And for my own self, I really like the new turf on <laughs> the pineapple course at Aloha North is what we're calling it. Played much better. I think I played that course nine strokes better than I did last year over three rounds, which was part of my goals and I accomplished it. So I felt pretty good about that. And yeah, those are my big positives. Yeah. I mean, obviously my big positive is coming in top 20 and just having a, a, a run. I had my best ever rounds at Aloha and I guess my best ever rounds in the United States with a 28 and 27 back to back, including just some fabulous putts. So riding that high for a little bit is always uh really nice and and I the camaraderie one of the really cool things and I've been trying to craft my blogs and stuff for mini golf news but you know when you get to that level you end up getting to play with some people that you don't normally play with like I was paired with Greg Newport for three rounds at pineapple which I generally am not that far up the ranking to play with Mr. Newport and um you know, and, and I had a chance to play with Frank. I talked about Vinette. And Vinette and I have always kind of been around each other, but this was the first time we really got paired at a tournament like that. And then, you know, in the final rounds, I got to play with another Masters champion and Randy Reeves. So just having that and having the opportunity to have some of those conversations between rounds, like when we were at Pineapple, I got to hear some great stories from Mr. Perfect, Rick Barrett, well, the two Mr. Perfects, because <laughs> Newport and Barrett and Matt McCaslin, like while we were waiting for rounds, it's, it's like I got to be in the in club for a little while and just, you know, and they're, they're all fabulous people and just have some great stories to tell. So I think it was that your point. I think the courses overall were probably 
you know, save for a couple of things that I'm sure we'll talk about with, you know, a hole here and there, we're probably in the best condition. Mm-hmm. I've seen them in years, just collectively as the three courses. Uh, yeah, and, I'd agree. and we, we lucked out. We had absolutely stunning weather. I mean, it was not too hot. The, the, the sun was out for most of the time. It was a little bit overclass on Saturday, but it wasn't bad. But considering we came three days after a hurricane hit, we couldn't have asked for more. And I know that's, you know, completely out of everybody's control, but it does make for a more interesting week. And, uh, yeah, so I think the the overall the overall player vibe was just really good this week, and, and things like you said, some of it with the new blood and the camaraderie. I, you know, for me, it's that's part of the draw of coming. It's you know all these other external things that we will talk about in the next few minutes here. You know, certainly have impacts, but being able to get dropped into that group of people, you know, you could probably lift and shift that group of people anywhere and find your way to have a fun time. Yeah, and, and I saw you made a note that they had a little bit more organization with the uh, swag that they got, which was nice. Because Slightly more. <laughs> last year, I showed up, I think it was the first day of practice late in the day, and they were out of t-shirts. They never asked for anybody's size, and they're like, do you want a medium in white or a double XL in peach? And it's just like, really? And so I took the medium, and I don't think I've worn it once. So it is what it is, but I think this next section, we're trying to be as constructive and helpful as possible, and we're just, I'm calling it, I wish they would, blank, suggestions, recommendations, thoughts for the Masters and Paddle, let you kick that off. Yeah, I mean, and I'll probably allow myself to be a little bit harsher um, I will caveat by saying nothing that I will say I haven't already sent in my feedback to the USPMGA. So yeah, I saw I'm trying, trying to yeah, so trying to follow a little bit of uh, professionalism here. But for me, the the couple of things that I, I wish we would see a little bit more on one is the rules. I, I think there's just I know that we'll talk a little bit about just overall information sharing, but the most important thing at a tournament that size is that everybody knows the rules. They have access to the rules. They have access to people who can interpret the rules and that it's consistently applied. And there were instances, some of which we caught on film where that wasn't the case. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's been, a I don't know if running jokes necessarily the right term, but certainly the pros who play, know this is and i think this is a good part of the camaraderie is that the pros do tend to pull together for the most part to try to make the right decision when there's not that access or or share the information or talk about it and things like that on their own but that shouldn't be the norm and i think that's one area where we really lack compared to international tournaments and honestly, compared to some of our small tournaments now, I know you and I and others have based our stuff on the international tournaments or just trying to fix that. So that's the big one. And then the other one that I I found interesting because we talked about how big the amateur class was, but there were times where it was clear it seemed like some in the organizing structure saw them as a burden mm-hmm. and not a positive force which I also found strange because honestly you spent a local news section telling people that they could still come down and sign up from the local area. And 
I guess you reap what you sow and, but that should be a positive thing. And it came across as negative at sometimes. And we'll talk about some of the other stuff that really isn't in place to help those players become the next class of people that we need. And so that, that one just, those two things I think broadly rubbed me the wrong way. And I'll let you talk about a few things too, because I know we have some overlap here um, with some of our thoughts. I mean, with the rules, there's literally more at most courses with like, don't swing the ball above <laughs> your knees, stroke limits this. They honestly never articulated that to players directly. We had the we had the pleasure of playing with a first-year newbie, uh, Justin Hawkins, and I think he had been practicing or maybe even he played a round or two with a Chromax ball that was not a branded ball. He might have bought it at one of the locations and they probably didn't know that he needed a branded ball because he was playing in the tournament and someone had to give him a heads up like hey you have to play with this ball via regulations the only reason I knew that going there last year was because you all told me it wasn't something articulated on a rule book or anything that I could read or find online well in the second level of the rules is no one would have known because as long as you had a silver ball not a single damn person checked whether or not it was a regulation no. ball and maybe somebody would have called you out on the course but like it, yeah it, it, stuff like that is immensely frustrating for not only new players but like they changed the type of chromax ball at one point you know from mm. the m1x to the mx5 so like any clarity can i use both as long as it's branded do i have to use the new one like there's there's frustrating little of that that is accessible or discussed mm -hmm. at any given time. Well, and then I bumped into that on hole number 17, which gave you trouble in the past on Hawaiian Rumble, where there's like a depression in the middle of the hole where there used to be a rock. I was playing a different shot on it than I probably should have done. Practiced it well, but for some reason when I hit it through, that depression... The ball hopped, slowed the speed, missed the shot, and it rolled back into the depression. I had heard that maybe you could move the ball out of that depression, but I didn't get any clarity. And when I had asked later, you know, I just played it from where it was because my playing partner didn't know the rule either because it wasn't articulated anywhere. I asked and they're like, oh, we thought that would have gotten back to you. And it's like, that can't ever be an acceptable answer for the rules no one was out there that I could immediately ask. I honestly know I'm not in the hunt and I kind of don't want to hold up the play. So I just moved forward and that's, that's frustrating. And so with these big tournaments, the big thing, and we do this in AMA tournaments as well, is that you have everybody in their groups scoring each other. It's a way to make sure that there's accuracy of scoring, not only in people writing down the right score and that no one's kind of fudging it, but additionally doing the math correctly too. Many, many times you'll go, oh crap. Okay. I I had that one wrong. You know, you're focused, you're in the moment, you know, you have somebody to spot check you and then you turn in your scorecard, you show them to, you sign them and they keep one. And then they add that information, the spreadsheet. For me and other people, they've literally entered the wrong score that we added up, that we signed on a card and submitted together. And I'll be honest, I bet in some cases there are some scorecards 
where two people got the math wrong and nobody caught it. And that's that takes away the whole purpose of having two people sign the scorecards. And I know the fact that this happens because round 10 at Aloha, I played with Barb Mingo. She shot a 35. I shot a 36. My final score is a 35. And I did not go in and correct it because I had nobody like one stroke above or below me. I have a copy of my card. And I kind of want to have that as like, here it is right here. No one ever caught it. And to me, that accuracy has to be there when the biggest thing that they focused all the attention on during the opening and closing ceremony, and even when they got interviewed by the local TV, was the future of gambling in the pro mini golf circuit and at the Masters, which didn't exist. They talked about it so much this year, but as of right now, it doesn't exist. And honestly, I will put I will put money down somewhere probably just going to have to be me and Pat and like a gentleman's bet that it won't be ready by the U S open. But that was discussed more than the rules and the accuracy of the results is going to make gambling really, really hard. So maybe let's not focus on the gambling. Let's not put a lot of time into talking about how gambling and sponsorship is going to raise the purses in the game because frankly, it's going to take a while for that stuff to happen, but it's also been stuff that has been promised to players because when the sponsorship stuff was brought up, there were so many seasoned pros around. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And they're just like, yeah, they say that every year. We've been here forever. It's not going to change. So, I mean, the accuracy of result and the focus to me is like a huge thing that needs work. Well, and the irony of it is that some of the stuff that they talked about in terms of the actual like rules being enforced and having referees out there for gambling, there wasn't even a smidgen of like a step towards that. No. I mean, some of the things that they talked about of like, well, you're not going to have these big breaks. You can't like leave the field to go to your car between rounds was immediately broken the very first round that we played. So yeah, there. I think it's very clear to a very large swath of players and outsiders that there is a disconnect between the focus, the things that are being focused on and the things that should be focused on and to your point on the scoring i mean i think it was me and randy i definitely had a round and i think it was with randy where he had written down a two where he had actually aced the hole so like i had luckily had caught it and corrected it and honestly this is why a lot of international tournaments have three players in a group because the likelihood Mm -hmm. that three of you will all get it wrong is a lot lower than just two of you but like if I hadn't right not been paying attention or just been like, oh, yeah, maybe he did get a two. Like the difference between he and I was only one stroke. And there was a little bit. I mean, it was only like 300 to 325, but 15th place did pay better. So like if I was a unscrupulous person <laughs> knowing that where we were at that, because that was the last couple of rounds, knowing where we sat, like I did not have to give him the benefit of the doubt in that because he was the yeah. one who's. And and I'm and Randy, if you're listening, and it wasn't you, maybe it was earlier. <laughs> but like either way, right? Like that's an illustration of where they go. So yeah, I agree. Like the the focus just it's I don't want to say it's necessarily inappropriate because I, I get it. Like if it's something that you're working on, you want to be excited, you want to build some of this stuff. But there's a level that should be reached, and we well exceeded it. 
Well, even someone was telling me that one year Greg Newport was listed as Gary Newport. And I was just like, <laughs> how do you get that one wrong? He's literally one of a handful of people that has had a perfect game. And he's won multiple Masters. For me, I was listed on the main sheet as a professional, but I was playing as an amateur. So that's why I made the joke about being a professional amateur. I've kind of, I kind of like it, but that wasn't an intentional thing. And in general, I felt like at the bottom half of the field, there was just like a lack of recognition or welcoming in of new competitors. It wasn't even just like the rules and all of that. It was almost like a diminishing of people that weren't near the top. It came out even in like the award ceremony where it might have been Chase who had won the amateur trophy and Bob just like made a caveat that was completely unnecessary. It's like, well, you don't get any money with it as an amateur. It's like, no, no caveats, just celebration. We're here. Nobody's making a substantial amount of money. If someone's trying to live off the money that they're winning in mini golf tournaments, they are living in a van down by the river, most likely. And that would probably (laughs) even be, that would be generous. It's really, really, really hard to make money consistently in any mini golf events, let alone at the biggest one. But yeah, I, to me, that just, I don't know. It, it, that's a big thing missing that I would like to see there. And then there was like talking about, you know, we're going to do all this stuff and we're going to be better than, Tiger Woods and clearly kind of alluding to pop stroke. And if you look at pop stroke, we just got some of the first day results there. Then almost five times as many people playing in the team's event alone than they had in their first year of doing a pop stroke event than they've had in the 26th version of the masters. Again, not to like harp on stuff, but at work, And in things I've done in the music world, I've been part of like putting on events. And this year we did a big event at my work for AARP. It is the sixth year of the event. I thought the event went really, really well. And I look at the program and I look at the run of show and how things ran. The attention to detail was immaculate because we wanted the people who were there to feel like this was a really special event. And then I think about the program for the USPMGA Masters, it's kind of a thing that they throw to one of the staff people at Aloha, and she does as good of a job as she can, but no one's helping her out, and it's very clear. There's information in there that's missing. There's photos that have the wrong captions. Everything just looks really pixelated and shoddy, and it's just, it's unfortunate. On top of it, I think the thing that I didn't harp on in the last podcast that's like a big thing for me with the aesthetics is the aesthetics just don't work. I don't care if you have swag for the Masters at all. I kind of don't want to wear it because it's just like a the logo for the Masters for mini golf. It's just a cheap ripoff of the Augusta Masters. They've gotten in trouble with it and Bob likes to brag about it. And to me, it's like, why is that cool that you can't like define yourself enough that you're trying to like ride on the coattails of a golf event, but you're like, our players are better than theirs. It's like, come up with your own logo and do something distinctive. And frankly, maybe instead of like 
hats and t-shirts, throw in the branded ball that players have to use. And if you want to go an extra step, make a little notebook that's branded for the USPM GA Masters that people can use to take notes when they're charting out the holes. To me, that's what the players need. Not just like another hat and a shirt with a logo that you've used for a really long time. Well, and I don't mind the shirts as much being masters centric, but like, why not just have generic USPMGA hats? Like yeah. nice ones that. that have like the WMF logo. Cause you're part of that because there's nothing, I mean, I was able to buy a hat a couple of years ago, that's, but there's nothing that like brands your organization. And I wear, I mean, I wear hats all the time. So whatever, I'll wear the, the hats at nine, wherever I'm doing stuff, but like a really nice USPMGA hat, I'd wear more often as like a marketing thing, right? Than just the, mm-hmm. and in part the master's thing, because that your point exactly, like an average person, if I'm wearing that, like through an airport, is going to look at it and just be like, oh, it's another like golf masters thing. Because if you look at it quick, you cannot tell the difference versus like, you know, I, and, and I know this from firsthand experience when I wear the, you know, college hooded sweatshirt that has the putting penguin in huge letters on it. The amount of people who have been like, well, what the heck is that? Because it's something that is completely different. So yeah, it just seems like a lost opportunity and you're right. I think the balls, we, why we don't get a ball. We used to get a, I swear we used to get a ball like many, many years ago, at least for the open, but I know the opens run a little bit differently. That would be huge. And yeah, a scorebook. I mean, I would love to have like a nice flip book that I could do holes and stuff on. And yeah, I'm not going to gripe about the music at the courses because it drives me nuts every year. It's the most just generic Jimmy Buffett kind of sad beach music that plays over and over but some of it's like comically it's so bad that it's just like whatever but it gives you something to break up like when you can make fun of it because honestly again like being out there for hours on end playing holes i mean as much as i like mini golf like having the the inane music in the background that you can make fun of I don't know. As it drives me a little nuts. I mean, I'm not very shy <laughs> well, as about a music it person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, like a music yeah, I mean, snob, but I'm just like, <laughs> stop it! Just stop playing this. Like, it's like fourth-rate versions of like Harry Belafonte songs that just don't work. Going back to the program, one of the things that was really interesting in the program was we didn't want to officially announce where the U S open was until after the masters, because word gets around about the masters being at one place or another and sometimes, or the events for the USPM GA being at one place or another. And it's wrong. And surprise, surprise, a, the U S open is happening at Aloha North, not South where many people had thought it was happening and they're going to do it at the same time as the South Carolina Open. The details are out there. I don't know how that's going to work out, but it seems like there'll be five rounds at Aloha South for the South Carolina Open, and then eight rounds at Aloha North, a.k.a. the Pineapple Course, for the U.S. Open. I don't know if that's going to be more of a draw for international players or not, but they're going to do two tournaments in one week, but it was funny to see that in the program and they listed just as Aloha 
just the name change for Aloha from going there in 2019 to 2021 was just so baffling. You can't find a good presence of it online. If you look for Hawaiian Village online, the presence is still there. So it's it's still confusing that Aloha North is a thing to to like the tournament, but and for people who are playing in it, but I don't know online if there is actual presence calling it Aloha North. Well, and as we're talking about this, I pulled up this Pro Mini Golf website because now it says place TBD for oh, both of them. Man. And I know it like it listed in the core in the in the program, and I know when it was on the website, I'd have to go back in our text messages because I'm pretty sure I texted it over to you as well. But like, okay, that's even stranger. I mean, where he, there's only three, whatever. I mean, great place TVD. So, and again, we've talked about the website before, so we don't got to get into that. And I'm trying not to be too negative here, but circling back on the whole timing of it, I don't see how having two tournaments in one week, like I know the, the Putt-Putt National Championships does that, but they all, I'm pretty sure it's all on the same course or the same like cup. I know it's in the same venue, right? And I know some of the putt-putts have multiple, but like they've always had that structure of like tournament week. But like the biggest point of feedback has been people don't want to have that many rounds on multiple courses. So why would you play a tournament on the 20th? That's on a course that is completely different than the US Open, which the, I'm assuming the US Open will have a bigger prize purse and all that sort of stuff, why would I waste a practice day to go play in a tournament that's not going to be on the same course as the U.S. Open? I, It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And that gets to my question, are you considering going? <sighs> I don't know. I, I've kicked it around. Like it, for, Again, for me, I would probably play in both because like... I'll, who cares? I mean, if it's going to be on two or three Bob's courses, I played them a million times. Right. And if I, you know, run down there for a few days and play, and I don't necessarily care where I've finished, like maybe I will. But the thought of like also going down to Myrtle Beach twice in one year is not exactly the most appealing. If I do even have the slightest of opportunity to play or even go and visit an international tournament. Um, especially knowing that just because with family and everything, like I know we were planning to go to the masters again because we're planning our vacation again. So like, I think I've already got one locked in. So I'm leaning to probably know with the caveat of if I just swing it, it probably will just be like, if it's on Bob's courses, I'll probably show up the day before and just wing it and see where it falls out. Yeah. I have to see where I'm at, but my focus this year in general is probably to not go to Myrtle Beach at all in 2023. I just feel like there's other tournaments out there that are more compelling and other cities that are more compelling going to. Definitely don't plan on going to the Masters Open, maybe because there are courses that I have a little bit more of a grasp on, but I think frankly like a couple of the international players if they're coming over would make it more compelling to go down there for it but frankly I, my biggest focus is going to Hastings for the world crazies I drove around Myrtle Beach and we had talked about it previously I went to a bunch of the courses that I had not been to before most of them were south of the airport 
nothing really stood out. And it's amazing how many of those courses looked identical to something else. Like if you take both Aloha and Hawaiian Rumble, there's probably four or five other courses that have the exact same kind of concrete work. The only difference is a lot of the holes in Myrtle Beach are just bigger. They're just huge amounts of space, whereas Rumble and the two Alohas, the holes are really compact. They're more aceable. Some of the other ones, they're, you know, can be 20 feet by 30 feet. They're just massive, massive putting areas where nothing is going on in them. Almost none of the courses have obstacles at all in Myrtle Beach, which oddly, the Aloha South has a handful and so does Aloha North. But there's not like a ton of obstacles on most of those courses. There's like some jumps. It's mostly just sloping. Some of them, you know, where the ball can like funnel in and might go down a pipe at other courses. But Myrtle Beach is not a city I need to go back to again really soon. As someone who's a mini golf aficionado, I feel like I've I've got it. Like I know what's going on there. Lots of interesting courses, but there's other cities with interesting courses and frankly, courses that I've enjoyed competing on more. Like I'd rather go play Matterhorn in a tournament or go back to the Red Door if I'm thinking about how I'm going to plan out my tournament schedule for 2023. Yeah, I mean, I think if it comes down to it and I've got, whatever, let's say five days of time to do a tournament, that's just not one of our normal ones that we would be local or, again, like doing the Masters because I know I'll be doing it with a vacation with the family. I'd rather swing five days of time, like you said, at like the World Crazy or something, even if that means like no practice, just go show up and basically play. Like that's, yeah, it's just more appealing to do something like that. Especially, yeah, I'm very interested to see how this will play out and what the the response will be as the details get finalized. And it's just a shame because the other thing is, this was the year that the U.S. Open was supposed to be at Coolcrest. Yep in San Antonio and that fell through and that had me a lot more excited, even though yep. I don't necessarily know that I wanted to play a tournament on that course, love the course, but maybe not just my style for a tournament, but I think I would have been much more willing to go to that than yeah. to go back to one of these courses here. Yeah. I was planning on going to cool crest. If for no other reason, I don't know that I would do that well on that course. I just really like the vibe and the atmosphere of those courses frankly, way more. I mean, Coolcrest cool Crest is probably a top 10 unique kind of special historical course. The ones that the Masters and the U.S. Open are played on, frankly, don't even really stand out in the city that they're in as being special or unique. And part of the Open was I would have supported the owners. Now, I will say this, and I, again, betting man will almost bet that this is not going to be the case. But like the very like small optimistic part of me would be like, well, maybe they found another place that they actually ended up partnering with in Myrtle beach to hold one of these tournaments. Yeah. I don't see that happening based on the structure and stuff, but yeah. like if you did, because you were expanding your reach, expanding your relationships, whatever, yeah. even, I mean, I don't even know what course would be the most appealing of that, but like that concept would be somewhat appealing to play on another course down there in a tournament. Yeah. And there's not, and for the volume of courses that they have down there, 
the ones that the Masters have played on as far as tournament courses go makes sense. That being said, it doesn't necessarily mean they're super fun. I don't know. I like that variety in my mini golf myself and just feel like out of the 50 some odd courses down there, one of those other places probably deserves a whirl. I honestly don't think it will ever happen, but stay tuned. We'll keep talking about those upcoming events as well as other events in the British Mini Golf Association, the American Mini Golf Alliance, the PPA, and all of that. But we've got one more sponsor to thank on our way out, Walkabout Mini Golf. They have a new mist-themed course that's due out on November 15th. And they officially announced that they're also going to have some sweet merch. I saw that they had some t-shirts and they had some coffee mugs. So you can get some goodies to go along with your headset. Maybe have a cup of coffee or tea in between a hole while you're playing Walkabout. Why not? Walkabout Mini Golf and Mighty Coconut have been fantastic to us. They've supported what we've been doing with the AMA and the podcast and they sponsored our season champion by giving them an Oculus headset. So Mick Cullen did not have an Oculus. He'll have one soon, and we'll get some photos of that. And we're really just excited about all of the other courses that they have coming up because it's a great way to stay connected with your friends from across the globe while working on your mini golf game. And that's going to be especially important as we start to hit those chilly winter months in the northern half of the United States. We're already seeing it. We've had two days of snow, followed, of course, very shortly by a day of high 70s. So welcome to the Midwest outdoor mini golf season. We got one more good mid to upper 70s day. That'll be the last one we got. I mean, New England's the same way. We are in the what Lewis Black would call the five seasons in 24 hours <laughs> period of the calendar. Um, and I would say if you're going to buy merch, definitely go for the tumbler with the straw because if you ever tried to drink out of a coffee cup with the headset on, it is very difficult to do. <laughs> First of all, finding it, but then second of all, trying to drink from it, but not impossible. So as always, we wrap up with our big thoughts in mini golf. As someone who, despite having been on TV, having this podcast, otherwise being in the public eye more than I ever really would have thought, I'm not really an extrovert. And I'm always happy to have mini golf as a conduit to meet people and make new friends. And we talked a little bit about who we met and folks like Justin at the Masters. So it seems like just every tournament these days, I'm either meeting new people who are passionate about the sport, I'm getting to know people better who I've not known as much or kind of tangentially known through the years. And I really love that it just spans not only the world geographically, but we see people from all different types of backgrounds and life experiences. And I also often joke that during practice these days, I really spend more time talking with people than actually putting. And to me, and I know to Tom that, you know, we see this as a good thing and I hope we're doing our part to contribute overall to the growth of the sport and the love, and game, love of the game and just by taking that time to engage with people. And with that, we're at the 19th hole. So until next time, putt one ready. Done and done -er.